Welcome back to G5 Football Daily, part of the Fan Nation Network with Sports Illustrated Media Group. Joe Lonergan here with you as always. And joining me today, you've seen him several times on this show already, but uh, one of my most trusted allies in the world of covering college football. I don't know why I made it sound so dramatic, but Eric Henry of 247 and Horns 247. Uh, buddy, good to talk to you again today. And uh, we're talking about a team quite a bit with uh, someone else from your neck of the woods right now in uh, the Austin area. Yeah, Joe, it has been a whirlwind of a weekend here. You know, we'll talk about it a little bit, but the Texas State Bobcats, and of course, we'll have Mr. Kev Chardello on. Uh, they, you know, especially when you consider the history of that program over the past really decade or so, for them to go out and stun Baylor, definitely a lot going on in uh, this neck of the woods. Yeah, today's going to be a Sunbelt heavy episode in general, in addition to Kev Chardello talking about what uh, G.J. Kenny did with his Bobcats in beating Baylor over the weekend. Their first win ever against the Power 5 program. Huge step forward for a team that's been, um, I don't want to say one of the jokes of the G5 the last uh, however many years, but you know, certainly not one of the top dogs. But big step forward for them with TJ Finley, Joey Hobart, and uh, the other 50 or so transfers they have on that roster. Uh, but... Eric, before we get into the Sunbelt stuff, anything else from this weekend that that stuck out to you? Because this was just kind of a jam-packed weekend in terms of crazy results. Yeah, I mean, I think the most notable game, right, is the Wyoming game. And you talk about that one in my mind. Wyoming's a team I actually had to do a, a bit of a deep dive on, not just for you know this podcast, but the fact that for my coverage with 24-7 Sports, Horns 24-7, Wyoming comes to play Texas the week after the Horns play at Alabama. So just for the purposes of that being a potential trap game, and you take a look at the amount of starters that Wyoming returns there with uh, Craig Bowl, uh, that's a really interesting football team. So the fact that they stunned Texas Tech, uh, in my mind, also not much of a shock. And I think the disappointing thing in my mind, Joe, is some of the conversation happened after that game, talking about, oh, well, this is why, you know, you'll never see another P5 team go to a G5. Like, I, that – is discouraging because I love, I mean, think about it. We saw Clemson go to Duke, right? I know, of course, going from Clemson to Duke is not that far. Um, we've seen, for example, Texas, you know, play a, 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 a neutral site, almost a mutual site, a neutral site game at NRG Stadium against Rice. I would love to see more P5s just, especially if it's regional, just take the trip, you know? So um, definitely hope that that this doesn't dissuade uh, P5 teams from not only scheduling G5 teams early on, but, you know, taking the trip to their uh, their place. Yeah, especially places like Wyoming, where that's the big ticket in the entire state. You know what I mean? And it's such a fun atmosphere. We saw a little bit of that uh, on the broadcast this past week. It gets even more uh, fun to watch in terms of the things that are going on around the field at War Memorial Stadium there as it gets colder, because that is a really – that's a crazy fan base in the best sense of the word. So looking forward to seeing more of what's going on in Laramie, Wyoming this year. And you mentioned, you know, teams not wanting to schedule those games at G5 teams. That's not necessarily going to stop the upsets because we also saw Purdue fall to Fresno State, who pulled out a huge win uh, by Jeff Tedford's squad. Mikey Keene, the former USF signal caller, doing his thing there. And <coughs> yeah. what's up? Had to make sure you, you got sorry, Joe. I, I would never be that rude to cut you off during a recap, but you, you, you confused my alma mater with the school in green and gold in Tampa. So, 
Oh, did I, oh I thought I said UCF. My bad. Uh, yeah, Mikey Keene, the UCF transfer. That's my bad. Um, but yeah, Jeff Tedford's squad winning their 10th game in a row dating back to last season. That was a huge one for the Mountain West as well. Yeah, no, I mean, it's funny you mentioned that one because that was another game that caught my attention for the same reason that you talk about with Mikey Keene, a quarterback that you could say, you know, Gus Malzahn, I don't want to say ran out of Orlando, but he made the decision that for his offense to run the way that he needed it, he needed John Rice Plumley, And as a result, Mikey Keene, who was a damn good quarterback at the American, you know, finds his way to Fresno State and is lighting up the scoreboard. So that was definitely an interesting result as well. And if Fresno State can get that kind of quarterback play, uh, you definitely got to look out for the Bulldogs and, and you know, uh, kind of the way the season could progress here. I, I think that could be an offense to keep an eye on because they can if they can consistently put together that type of performance, it could be interesting. Yeah, one more to touch on quickly in terms of upsets for the G5 this uh, past weekend. Rocky Lombardi and the Northern Illinois Huskies. I don't know what it is about teams in markets that you used to work in, Eric, but uh, the Northern Illinois Huskies, they go to Boston College and get a win there uh, in overtime. And their quarterback, of course, uh, getting it done with his legs at the very end there, just pushing it over the goal line. Big win for the Mac there, too. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned it in markets I used to be in. Yeah, uh, definitely an area that I started out this whole uh, journalism thing in. But you, you talk about it again, definitely uh, a, another big win uh, when you talk about the G5 landscape. You know what's interesting, Joe, in my mind, and I just kind of want to throw it back in the form of a question before we move on. Yeah. Did, did that result surprise you any? Because it seemed to me when we talk about some of the teams are kind of able to have statement wins. To be able to do them early in the year, I, I thought was interesting. You know, I mean, in one sense, you could say, all right, you know, it's early on. Teams are they're still shaking off the cobwebs. You know, we've heard talk about, all right, you know, we're still kind of figuring out our game plan, how to prep for another team. But to me, I just think some of these teams to be able to come out and have such a, such impressive wins early on, that was noteworthy to me. What says you? Yeah, you know, I mean... I guess I don't really know much different in terms of G5 teams making those upsets with the way that conference schedules are built now, right? Because once you get through those first three, four weeks of the season, uh, most teams opt to not really bother with non-con opponents anymore. So it didn't really surprise me that this is when they were happening, but I was definitely surprised at the number of uh, G5 upsets we got in one day. I feel like it's been a couple of years since we've had that level of chaos in the opening weekend. <laughs> no doubt about it. Let's uh, let's jump into that aforementioned Sunbelt convo. Uh, before we jump into full-blown Texas State conversation, I want to shout out, Eric, uh, a guy that we've worked with quite a bit over the years, and uh, that's Kevin Fielder, right now writing for Underdog Dynasty on SB Nation. Uh, put out a piece last week about the extra stresses that coaches go through, as well as the stresses that their families go through when they switch jobs. Um, not, it's a great article. I'm not going to talk about it too much. Uh, so go look that up, um, or just Google at the Kevin Fielder, uh, on Twitter X, whatever. And, uh, you'll see it pop right up, but super interesting article. But one thing that stood out to me, um, in a quote from old dominion head coach, Ricky Ronnie, who was a, a big part of that story and, and gave a lot of his time to it. Uh, he talked about the summer before he took the job at old dominion and, you know, when you're just in a house by yourself for several weeks, you got to kill time somehow. And he did it by playing PlayStation. And I didn't know if that was, you know, something he said to seem like he was like relating to the kids or, you know, maybe he's just one of these guys that throws, you know, some Madden on every once in a while. 
Eric, that was not the case. And I asked him about it during Sunbelt media availability this week. And uh, here's what he had to say. Uh, what's the go-to game? Just got to know. Uh, I mean, I'm more of a 2K guy than anything, although I do play the show quite a bit too. Okay. Um, my guys, you know, last time I played, I haven't played for a little bit. My guy got into a little bit of a slump there, so I got to get him going again. But uh, uh, And then uh, I, was, I was big on Assassin's Creed, particularly uh, Valhalla, which I think is the uh, greatest game uh, ever made. Well, right behind Red Dead Redemption. Those are the two best games ever. Thanks, Coach. But yeah, Eric, as you can hear there, dude's pretty well-rounded in terms of some of the games he plays. You know, I, I haven't really gotten into too, into Valhalla too much, but got really into Red Dead Redemption. Hard to argue with the point he made about that being one of the better video games ever made. God knows I sunk. Oh, man, you're going to laugh at me. I probably got close to 80-something hours in there, and, you know, there's other video games over the years. It's been a lot more. But uh, what do you think of his taste there? Listen, any coach who is secure enough to admit their video game tastes, I love it. You know, it's interesting, Joe. I'm going to try not to be too long-winded here, but I, I think and one of the things I love about G5 coaches, I think that level allows coaches to show off their personality a little bit. Um, it, you know, I won't get too much into my Texas coverage, but, you know, sometimes it feels like Steve Sarkeesian here in, in Austin – he has to play everything so close to the vest because any little thing can be made a story. You know, I, for example, uh, Brett McMurphy, you know, was, uh, stated that uh, Sark's favorite artist is Tupac. And, and I've kind of wanted to ask him about it, but, you know, I, I'm sure that could get made into a story if someone, you know, God forbid his, his, his favorite Tupac song is, you know, like uh, hit him up, you know, or, or hail Mary, you know, that, that could turn into a, the story itself. So for Ricky Ryan to be able to go out there and, and just kind of show his personality, I really love that. And listen, the, I, I got to say this, the show is one of the greatest video games. I, I am a sports gamer through and through. If mm -hmm. I were to veer away from sports, I probably would be dating myself a bit, but I'm a big like Tekken fan because that was one of the first video games I was introduced to as a kid uh, on the old PlayStation. But you know, sports is usually my realm and anything that you can truly dive into like, you know, the show, which I think has one of the best, you know, what the old Madden franchise mode used to be when it kind of was like, oh, man, now we can run an entire franchise. And now it's just recycled. The show is just one that you can dive into. And it's not shocking that a college football coach would enjoy all the aspects of what MLB the, the show provides. So uh, all good choices on his part. Such a fun, like, uh, career mode, I guess, where you build the guy and like take him through, you know, your, your life or whatever. Oh man, he he said something in there that was like, I haven't uh, I haven't talked to my guy in there in a little while. Hope he's not getting rusty. Like you know, he's like waiting for the off season to jump back in. That that was funny. Um, all right, other piece of uh, noteworthy content from the Sunbelt Media call. I uh, asked a couple questions of GJ Kenny and what he thought of his team's performance uh, over the weekend. Here's what he had to say. Good morning, Coach. Uh, the play that uh, Joey Hobart made against Baylor uh, kind of made the rounds. Spectacular catch. Um, wonder if you could just kind of give us your reaction to, to that play and just the overall night he had. Yeah, he's been uh, since he got here in the summer. He's been making those type of plays, and and uh, he's he's an unbelievable kid. Kind of just a worker mentality. Um, you know, great attitude every day, and. and uh, just, just one of those guys that, that makes plays. He's, he's one of those guys that 
that the the moment's not too big for him. You can just tell, like going into it, like he was just there's just another day at the office for him. And uh, you know, he he's one of those guys that his level of play kind of I think kind of did this in, in that big time environment. So um, you know, after a while, we we really try to focus on getting him isolated on their safeties, and and he was able to to make a couple of really good plays. And uh, of course, the UTSA matchup this week. What makes them difficult to prepare for from a personnel standpoint? Yeah, I think offensively, um, they're really big up front. And that's the strength of their team. Uh, but they're they're really talented everywhere. I shouldn't just say the, the D line. And then offensively, anytime you have a quarterback like that guy, uh, you know, it presents a huge challenge. And and uh, you know, they got a bunch of really good receivers. I think they're they're always you know, Coach Trailer's always going to run the ball. Um, so the running backs are really talented. Um, they're just really well coached, really good players. So it's, it's always going to present a challenge. And as we come back from that, we are absolutely going to keep the Texas state conversation going and, uh, let's jump into it now with our guest this week, Kef Chardella. There it is. All right, for this next segment, very happy to welcome this next guest. You've probably seen his work covering the Texas State Bobcats in the Austin Statesman. He also has a podcast covering Texas State football. Uh, Win now or get bent. Great little program. Uh, It is Kef Cardello. Kef, as we've uh, said before we started recording, read the stuff for a long time, read the coverage of uh, Texas State, even in the uh, the darker years there, but looks like a, a new leaf is turning for G.J. Kenny's program there, as we'll get into here. But welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, both of y'all. And it's great to be here, especially talking about some some positive things about the Bobcats for once. Usually it's been been pretty negative, so it's it's nice to to say some sing some some graces of these bobcats for once but yeah that was that was a terrific win for them on saturday that 42 31 upset over baylor i mean arguably the biggest in program history uh at least since they've been fbs they've had some other ones they had a big upset over houston in 2012 when they were 34 point underdogs but uh just the the down years as you mentioned the dark times the last eight years they haven't won more than four games so after all of that to have this win, I, I think it's just it's invigorated this fan base like no other. It's a, a nice shot in the arm for this program. I mean, from your point of view, as someone who's been so close to the program for a number of years, what have just the past like 48 hours been like to see Texas State on the national, you know, in the national spotlight for doing something like this? Yeah, uh, it's it's been unreal. I mean, even seeing like the Washington Post writing about the Bobcats and seeing ESPN tweeting about them. You know, we've seen some of that treatment, maybe not Washington Post treatment, but some ESPN treatment for other sports like baseball and volleyball is really good at Texas State, but never for football, especially not since they've been FBS. So it's it's uh, it's been incredible to see. It's been everyone's everyone's like Ricky Bobby and Talladega Knights around here. They just don't know what to do with their hands. <laughs> everyone's in shock. You know, even at the press conference today, it's like that really happened. Like, wow. I mean. This has been such a lethargic program for so long, especially offensively. Uh, you know, Jake Spavadol came in the last four years, and he was advertised as this offensive guru who's going to revamp everything. Here comes the air raid and and all of that, and it just it never happened. They they didn't average more than I think they had one year where they averaged twenty six, and otherwise it was eighteen points a game, twenty one, twenty three, and so it it, it was never really there and even before then it was Everett Withers who was the coach for three years and he was a defensive coach 
And before that, it was Dennis Franchoni, and he was more of a, you know, he had a, a, a really a decent offense, but it was more a conservative offense. It wasn't anything um, very brash or in your face. It was more West Coast, if anything. Um, so it, to see to see this for to see it be advertised and talked about for nine months and uh, people even such as myself, it's like, okay, well, can they really do it here? Can they really take it from the FCS level to the FBS and replicate what they did at Incarnate Word with the number one offense in the nation? And after the first game, the proof of concept shows that they can. I mean, there's 11 games left. There's a lot they need to do, including UTSA this week, which is a pretty tough opponent, even though they're, they're coming off a loss. That's still a really good team. Um, so I, I, it's, it's pretty great, you know, but the, the, it's a long season. We've seen them have a really nice win like app state last season and then come out and lose the next one. So they've got to come back to earth and, and not come out flat and have that uh, hangover after a win. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned the, uh, the upcoming game against UTSA. There's definitely some ties between those two programs, but we'll get into that in a bit. Um, but just for people that maybe aren't as familiar with the brand of football that Texas State has played in years past, so what are some of the biggest differences that uh, people can expect when they watch the Bobcats this year now that G.J. Kenny's in charge? Yeah, uh, the biggest difference, I mean, on, on offense, obviously, it's, it's way more fast-paced. Uh, they are after as soon as the play is done they're sprinting to the ball they're getting things going um even if it's a big play a, a, a run play they get stuffed it doesn't matter they're getting right back to the line and, and trying to go they're trying to keep the defense on their heels which is something coaches in the past have tried here but not to not to the the, the success that these guys had on saturday where they're like we want to increase the amount of plays and everything it just wasn't as efficient before there were more penalties and everything in the past on Saturday for Texas State, there's only four penalties the whole game, which is it was pretty good. Usually this team is is almost the double digits in, in more recent years during games. So to see that that change on offense is the most drastic change. But on defense, they had a really good front seven last season. It was one of the better ones they've had in, in a while. I think they had the most uh, tackles for loss and turnovers since 2012 last season, if I'm remembering that correctly. And so you would think there'd be somewhat of a drop off, but then they came out on Saturday, 10 tackles for a loss, a handful of sacks. It's a new look defense from a 3-4 to a 4-2-5 now under Jonathan Patkey. It's 4-2-5 man coverage, and it was a 3-4 zone. So it's kind of a, a completely different defense. Uh, so both sides of the ball look look drastically changed. Um, and there's there's a lot of changes all over the all over the place. There, at one place there's not a change is Seamus O'Kelly still the punter. That's about the one area that that's stayed the same. You can always count on the punters to be that cornerstone of dependability, at least at the uh, G5 level. But, you know, I think one of the things that's uh, been or at least was particularly exciting about this last game was the performance of uh, TJ Finley, the former Auburn and former LSU quarterback. You know, it seems like he has settled into this new system uh, pretty well so far. Talk about what he brings to brings to the game here. Yeah, I, I mean, talk about somewhat of a surprise for everyone nationally for people that that saw how he did at Auburn and LSU uh, after those stops didn't go so well but I mean he's come in here and since the coaches brought him in here they talk about how how poised and mature he is I mean in three years he did one year at first year at LSU the last two at Auburn in those three years despite transferring despite despite playing a lot of time at these big programs he was able to get his degree. So he was a grad transfer to Texas State. 
uh, and, and he's still a sophomore. He has three years left, which is kind of crazy. It's just the age we're in with, with COVID and all of that. Um, but he, he brings that experience right off the bat, playing at two different SEC programs, winning the starting job at two different SEC programs. You know, the, the, the pressure is, is not nearly as high at, at Texas State. The Sun Belt isn't the SEC. So I think he's able to come in here and relax a little bit. Um, when you talk to him, you can see he's a natural leader. And those are all things I've talked about not on the field. On the field, I mean, right right off the bat in fall camp, when you'd see him throw the ball, it just – that arm is very strong. He's got a – it gets there twice as fast as, as it feels like the other quarterbacks on roster. When it gets out of his hand, it's right there to the receiver. It doesn't give the DBs a ton of time to catch up to the ball. Um, but he, he – so he brings that arm, brings that, that live of an arm. He's 6'7", 250, so he's a big guy. There, there were questions about how mobile is he. He seems like he may be a slower type of guy and dispelled a little bit of that on Saturday with the 16-yard bootleg touchdown. Uh, he, you know, he's still not a running quarterback, not a dual threat, but quick enough to get a 16-yard touchdown against Baylor. So, I mean, he can had some other elusive plays where he's shifting around in the pocket. He had one where he spins out of the pocket and hits Denario Davenport for a 27-yard score. Um, he, he brings – Big time ability, and that's something the Bobcats haven't had under center uh, in a long, long time. Um, a really long time. Maybe, maybe not someone to this caliber of a player since going back to the like 2005 to Barrick Neely or 2008 to Brad George, some guys like that. But it's been that long since uh, a player with with that strong of an arm has has been back there. A big, a big quarterback like that. Now that being said, there's still a lot of season left. There's a lot of things you need to clean up on the on the deep balls. He overthrew some guys on some of those plays. Um, but, you know, that's nitpicking for the most part. I mean, he was named some belt offensive player of the week for a reason. It was, it was a terrific performance, no doubt. All right, I got two more for you, and then I'll hand the line of questioning over to your fellow Austinian, Austonian, fellow dude in Austin, however you're supposed to say it, Eric Henry. Uh, but my, my second to last question, you mentioned the matchup with UTSA coming up this week. Uh, for those that don't know, there are uh, some pretty deep ties between G.J. Kenny and UTSA head coach Jeff Trailer going back a while. Uh, how do you best kind of summarize their relationship? Oh, man, um, it does go back a while. It goes back. Jeff Trailer was G.J. Kenny's coach his senior in high school, but their relationship goes back. May, it may go back further, but it at least goes back to GJ's junior year in high school when he was at Canton High School and he beat Gilmer, where Jeff Trailer was coaching in the playoffs before transferring and being on his team. So GJ beat Jeff Trailer and then joined his team. They went 10 and 0 at Gilmer that year. Uh, and they got upset the first round of the playoffs, so they didn't go much further after that. But yeah, and you know, GJ, why he transferred between his junior year and senior year, his his dad was the coach at Canton High School, Gary Joe Kinney. Uh, and he was actually shot by a disgruntled parent um in, in the spring of 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 that before the spring, right before that 05 season, his junior season. Um, and so after that season ended in 05 gj took or i'm sorry gary joe kenny took a job at baylor as the as the linebackers coach so after that gj kenny transferred and that's how he ended up at and under jeff trailer at gilmer um and we got to talk to him today actually at the press conference and obviously lots of questions about that with the game on the docket this week and he just talks about how every step of the way he's helped them even when he 
coming coming out of Gilmer and going to Texas right off the bat, but not being able to play on the Longhorns in 2007. So he transfers out to Tulsa. He said he he relied on on trailer for advice on where he should transfer and where he should go. Every step he's taken in the coaching ranks, he's relied um, on trailer for mentorship and guidance there. So they have a very, very close relationship. Obviously, this week they are on the opposite sides of the field. Uh, but I don't think there's zero bad blood between them, of course. I mean, no matter no matter how the, the game shakes out on Saturday, they're still going to be pretty close. But I imagine the the other would definitely like to beat the their their former former compadre. <laughs> so it goes for sure. Um, last question on my end. Um, we've seen a lot of talk this week about the transfer portal and its effects on, you know, college football rosters in the opening week, whatever. And people have kind of put Texas State and Colorado side by side just because they're the number one and two in terms of number of transfer players on the roster this year. But honestly, it's like comparing apples and oranges when you look about, you know, those two different situations. But um you know, I guess just can you provide any insight into how Kenny has attacked building this roster with that amount of transfers? Because frankly, the other administrations prior to him uh, weren't great at recruiting the high school levels at, at that point. Yeah, you know, you know, I'll give Everett Withers some credit. He was really good at, at recruiting high school players, but but Jake Spavadol, definitely not. They were very much about the transfer portal. Um, and it was it was a, a slow burn transfer portal where you know, you have the signing days in December and in February, but they would, they would, those signing days would come around. Like the first one come around, they'd have three. And then the next one come around, they'd have seven. And then they would slowly build up to 25 up until like August. And it's, it's more like they were, they were um, signing guys on that were cast offs more than more sought after transfers that uh, more so than like beating out other teams for some of these guys. Uh, and you know, G.J. Kinney came in and, and they looked at it at the the 25 scholarship allotment cap was lifted by by the NCAA, at least for for this year. Uh, I think that might come back next year. So there wasn't that 25 cap on it. So they went ahead and took advantage, obviously, and signed 53 scholarship guys. Um, most of them are transfers. I think it's 39 of them are transfers. Uh, yeah, 39 transfers, seven JUCO, seven high school. So. Uh, that's a that's a lot of transfers. A lot of them from the Power Five ranks. Um, so bringing them into to the Sun Belt, I'm, that's going to be great for for getting guys in there. That'll increase the profile at certain positions. You have bigger players on the lines. You have uh, taller DBs. You have taller receivers. It's 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 a it's a brand new team. It really is. I mean, because aside from the 53 scholarship guys, it's 71 total new guys. It's like 115 or so guys on this roster. 71 of them are brand new. Um, it's a it's a complete overhaul of this roster. And, and you saw it on Saturday. There's a few familiar faces. I mentioned Seamus O'Kelly. Uh, Ashton Hawkins led the team in receiving. He's still starting at receiver. Jordan Revels at defensive end. But for the most part, uh, you you look at this roster and everybody is, is brand new to the scene. Eric, what do you got, buddy? Yeah, Kev, you know, I'm going to jump in here and, and, you know, Joe kind of covered a, a really wide uh, array of topics in his line of questioning. So I'm going to kind of go uh, a different route here first and, and ask you this. You talked a little bit about Texas State's football history, and I was wondering if you could dive into that a, a little bit. Uh, you know, I've, I had a chance to cover Everett Withers at FIU during his time there as defensive coordinator, and, you know, Everett was, you know, 
vocal uh, about you know some of the some of the challenges that you know he encountered there at Texas State and and just you know I think a lot of players have had a chance to you know talk to guys like Sean Rutherford, former Texas State quarterback, who talked about you know some of the 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 growing pains of Texas State kind of making that transition to be an FBS program. I wonder if you can kind of shed some some light on that because there seems to be some conversation regarding you know Texas State's for lack of a better phrase, ability to kind of really commit to football at the FBS level, what needs to, to be successful. Sure. You, you know, I'd love to, Eric. I'll, I'll jump into that. You know, it's, it's, it's not like I was saying earlier, it's nice to talk about good things now, but there are definitely some dark times. Um, and a lot of that, especially when you're talking about Everett Withers, it will, ha- will tie back to the former athletic director here, Larry Tice. Uh, he, he took over in 2003 back when Texas State was still in the Southland Conference, FCS, um, they had just changed their name from Southwest Texas State to Texas State. And uh, they did a, they did a good job then of making a drive to push Texas State to the FBS level. And that worked, and they got to FBS in, in 2011. Um, and that took a lot of marketing and promotion and getting people to come to the games and a whole bunch of benchmarks that they had to cross before they could move up to FBS. Uh, but once they got to FBS, they they still treated it like an FCS program, and they just didn't curate it the way they they should have the, uh, a Division One program. Um, and they let a lot of mediocrity fester. They were more worried about uh, things like compliance. Uh, obviously, the compliance is important, but that was taking precedent over like you know trying to in- increase the the profile of a team or, or you know get, opening up the checkbook for recruiting trips and. All these things that you have to do or, or expanding the uh, renovating the, the weight room or I mean, they were having problems even paying their Powerade bill in 2018 where the team didn't didn't have Powerade. They had to go get a, a booster to go pay the Powerade bill so that they could have something to drink at the game. Uh, so it, it was it was down pretty bad for a while. It was, it was mismanaged. It wasn't anything nefarious. It was just too big for certain people. And. and um, there were changes. Uh, 2021, Larry Tice resigned. Don Coriel was was promoted to athletics director. And then a year after that, the president left in East Troth um, and uh, uh, Kelly Dampfus came in. He was the chancellor at Arkansas State. Now he's the president at Texas State. And his big initiative when he was hired was to fix football. He's very vocal about saying that when they hired him in 2022, it was to fix football and, and to make the university an R1 institution that's on the, the academic university side. But the, it was a two point, two point plan when he was hired and football has been uh, it's something he, he has taken very seriously. Obviously Jake Spavadol didn't have a good year last year. They moved on from that situation. They hired GJ Kenny. Um, so they're now they're taking football very, very seriously. They have realized that when you are at the FBS level, the program is like um, a front porch for the university. It's what everybody sees. Uh, it, if it's bad, everybody thinks the university's bad. If it's good, everybody thinks the university's good. And, and that's unfair, but it's just the perception of the public. And you have to embrace that. You have to to fix that. And I think this this administration understands that. They haven't fully realized it and completed it yet because it's you know time constraint. We haven't gotten there yet. We were only one game into the season. But they they do realize it and they're at least doing everything they can to fix that. They're embracing the media more. They're marketing the team better. Um, they're listening to fans instead of, uh, um, you know, trying to box them out and not worry about their feedback. So it's just 
it's been a it's been quite a change over the last couple of years in that department for this program and we'll see if it pays off in the wins. Again, if you're just joining us, we are joined by Mr. Kef Chardello. He's affectionately known as the mayor of San Marcos, Texas. You don't believe me, just ask around. Uh, <laughs> go on, Kev. You gave me a little face, or you, you, you don't embrace the nickname as the mayor of San Marcos? I've never heard it. I didn't know that one. I I, I never. Uh, I didn't run. I don't know who All put right, me well, on the ballot. Fair. Shout out I'm to my, Shout out to my twenty four seven sports core, Jeff Howe, who, who dubbed. Oh, Kev. okay. All right. All right. <laughs> but uh, I, I want to stay in that realm here. Just you know, three questions, and we'll get you out of here, Kev. Um, and I really appreciate the answer you gave as far as the background of Texas State and kind of the history of them, you know, in the football program. What's the feeling around San Marcos for, for people who may not be familiar or have never been? You know, I covered a game there last year. Was it last year? The day, the years all run together at this point. Yeah, it was last year, uh, FIU's 2022 trip to San Marcos. San Marcos is located, you know, what would you say, Kev, about midway between Austin and kind of the San Antonio-ish region, if that's a fair description. So, you know, for those who may not be familiar, you're kind of smack dab in between, you know, two pretty sizable markets, but kind of a college town. I was wondering, Kev, if you could kind of shed some insight on on the fan base there, you know, what has it been in, in, in previous years and kind of where is it now? What's the feeling amongst the fan base of, of a program that's still really kind of trying to find its footing in the FBS landscape? Yeah, it's San Marcos, it's it's nestled right right in between San uh, San Antonio and Austin, as you said, um, just off of I thirty five. It's it's a it's a small city, a big town, however you want to look at it. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a city by any means. It's definitely definitely a town. Um, it, it is it, that's it's kind of a good thing that it's in between these two markets, but also a bad thing because neither one knows how much coverage they want to give to San Marcos because it is kind of in the middle. And a lot of the TV stations don't, you know, some of the San Antonio stations reach and some of the Austin stations reach. So that's kind of, it's been a, it's a good and a bad thing for, for Texas state. Cause it doesn't really know which market it lies in. It's almost in, in both. Obviously I write for the Austin newspaper. Um, and so they've, they've, you know, looked at it as somewhat a, something worth covering for sure. Uh, but the fans around it, with the losses recently, it's been it's been pretty tough for the fans. Um, but they've been playing football for 120 years, about at this point. Um, so they they have a lot of fans. They have a lot of history. They have two national championships at the D2 level in the 80s. Um, they there's a, a lot of people in this area that that still care about Texas State. And it's 40,000 students at Texas State right now. Um, it's a, a much bigger school than people realize. So there are a lot of alumni that just are, are kind of waiting to be galvanized by a team that wins. Uh, and as soon as that happens, the, that the fanship will should increase, you know, at least on paper. We'll, we'll see how all of that shakes out if it, if it does shake out that way. Um, but there, there are fans around, and it's in a market that, if it does start getting more eyes on it, like beating Baylor, you know, more wins, the more people will look at it, then maybe those bigger markets will, will start to take Texas State a little seriously. Uh, it, it's hard to break into Austin with with UT and San Antonio with UTSA doing so well and, and things that are going on down there. Um, but so it kind of they have to break through the noise a little bit. But some some wins would would definitely cure that and and make a, a lot more fans. That's for sure. 
Again, if you're just joining us, we're joined by Kef Chardello of the Austin American Statesman. Yeah, Kef, I'm glad you touched on that. There, you got out there, bud. The reception of high rise. (laughs) Too high up. It's a blessing and a curse. (laughs) It's a curse I wish I had, man. Down here at ground level, you know? (laughs) They don't give the mayor of San Marcos uh, the best apartment in town. (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 I don't. I don't get the mayoral stake. Yeah, I haven't heard. I haven't heard that one. That's funny. The mayor. Well, now you know, uh, man. I'm just the messenger, just the bobcat messenger. <laughs> now I just have this image in my head of a mayor who didn't know they were the mayor until several years into the job. <laughs> but you know, I've been complaining about the streets for so long. Like, I didn't know it was fault this whole time. Joe, can you hear me? Yeah, there you go. Hey, bud. Okay, yeah, I'll have to see what happened with the mic there. I just went to my my computer speakers. And Kev, I, I really appreciate the answer you gave there as far as the where San Marcos is situated, because I do think it, it provides an interesting point, you know, talking about between San Antonio and Austin, who kind of comes out there and, and makes an effort to cover them. Uh, your cohort at the Austin American States, and Mr. Kirk Bowles, someone who I, I interact with on a, on a weekly basis, came down there to, to do a profile of DJ Kinney. So it does kind of show you it, it does make it a weird cover. Uh, Kev, for my final question, uh, you know, those of us who are, are familiar with Joe and I's podcast, like to end things on a light note. So uh, it's a multi-part question here, but we're going to keep it light. So I want to start here with this. Uh, how would you rate San Marcos as a college town? I've noted that, you know, there are various publications that put San Marcos, you know, pretty high up there uh, amongst the college towns in Texas. And the second part of that question is this, how would you rate the barbecue in San Marcos. I've got a listing here from Texas Football Life that says the best barbecue in San Marcos is Hayes County Barbecue. So uh, I got you a two-part question there, and then I'll follow up with my uh, Texas faux pas as a new uh, resident of Lone Star State. I can't wait to hear that, by the way. I'm looking forward to that one, Eric. But (laughs) yes, uh, where does it rank as a college town? I mean, it's pretty great. I live here. I've lived here a long time. Um, even though I write for the Austin paper, I, I still remained in San Marcos. It's it's a it's a really cool area. It's very underrated. Um, yeah, I I feel like I would be biased because I'm here. I've had a daughter born here. You know, like I'm very proud of that on her her birth certificate says San Marcos. Um, but I I would I would put it at the top. I have seen other publications put it at the top as well. You know, you have like some other ones, College Station. You have Denton. I, I, assuming we're talking Texas college towns, I, don't, I, can't, I couldn't rate it. Yes, yes Texas college towns. Yeah, Texas college ones. I, I'm pretty confident putting it on top, especially when I went to UNT my first year. So I'd say it's better than Denton. I've been to College Station. I haven't hung out for a long, but I've been there before. It, it's, it feels more like a city. Um, Lubbock, I would say Texas State's better than Lubbock. Obviously, like Austin, it's not really a college town. Um, it's more. It's a city. Same with Houston. Um, wait, Bay, Waco. No, Waco's Waco's nowhere near that list. I, yeah, I'm pretty confident putting Texas State on top of that, or San Marcos, I should say, on top of that list of, of best college towns. Uh, rating the barbecue, I'd put it up there. It, it's not the best, not the best in the state, but it, it it it's in the it's in the running. Maybe like maybe in the top ten somewhere. Especially you named it Hayes County Barbecue. They're amazing. Um. Don't be fooled by San Marcos barbecue. Now they they opened up kind of a, 
Hayes County is on this side of 35, San Marks on the other side, and they both have signs that you see on 35. I, I have a feeling they opened up to compete with Hayes County. But so go check out Hayes County. There's also Black's Barbecue, which is really good. Um, I believe they started out originally in Lockhart, the Black's family, and they branched out to San Marcos as well. So there's there's really good barbecue there. Um, but yeah, if you're stopping at one place, stop at Hayes County for sure. That's that's the that's the place to go. I have heard good things about several barbecue places. Kev, I'm a little ashamed. I think I've tried more taco places than I have barbecue, so I really gotta gotta step my game. Not that you can go wrong with the Mexican here in the state, but uh, I, I gotta step my game up here a little bit. Here is is the what I'll end it on, Joe. And I think you'll appreciate this as well because you made me more familiar with this. Okay. Um, Kev, I learned that those dashes in HEB are there for a reason and is indeed called HEB and not HEB, as I referred to it on a radio spot uh, <laughs> last week. So uh, as, as someone who's been in the Lone Star State a while, how bad of a faux pas is the, uh, the old HEB? I have never, I haven't heard that one. That's that's hilarious. Uh, HEB. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I think it's a name, right? Uh, yeah, it's like H E uh, or, or like the, an actual name. Yeah, like H E Barnes or something. Yeah, it's a, it's somebody it's somebody's name for sure. And, and uh, I I understand. I guess I've never thought about that. I've just known H E Bs for you know. I moved to San Antonio in fifth grade, so I've just known H E Bs since then. They're like Publix in Florida. You know, that's what you're you're probably used to coming over from Miami. Exactly. Good. I'm I'm willing I'm willing to forgive you on that one because just just because you know familiarity with the whole situation and you're you know you're a journalist so you, you see it you read it H E B Heb but maybe I'll start calling it Heb I'm gonna go hit the Heb <laughs> yeah just <laughs> just for I was gonna say just for for correcting it yeah it's it's Howard E Butts so yes that is that is oh wow that is the the where the heb comes from or heb uh that i'll refer to it from now on as because yes it is as i've learned it is the closest thing i'm going to get to Publix here in these parts joe so so what what do you got for me i like heb better personally <laughs> than than howard e butts but you know yeah i get why they went with the initials <laughs> not, not that's grocery store I, we've all been there working in different markets in in Portland. There's a street called uh, it's spelled C O U C H. And until the day I left, I called it couch street, but everyone else pronounced it coot street. And my brain was just like, I'm, that's, I'm not supposed to say that that can't be what it is. So, but anyway, <laughs> doesn't feel uh, right. But <laughs> it doesn't, it didn't feel right. Oh man. Kef, where can people find your work on uh, social media here? Yeah, my my uh, Twitter account at Kef underscore C. Uh, I have a podcast as well. When now or get bent? Our our Twitter account is at When now or get bent. So I have a YouTube channel. When now or get bent? Um, check us out on Apple and Spotify, and check out my articles on Statesman.com. Fantastic, Kef Chardello. We will obviously be following your work throughout the rest of the year, and uh, as long as Texas State has a football program. Thanks for coming on today, man. Hey, appreciate y'all. Thanks again. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of G5 Football Daily. We'll be back later in the week with another episode where we jump into what we're going to expect out of the third 
weekend of college football, which I guess is week two. Numbers are weird, Eric. Anyway, Eric, where can people find your work nowadays? Of course, you can find my work on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. And if you're looking for some uh, great coverage of the Texas Longhorns and Big 12 in general, you can find that at 24-7 Sports, more specifically at Horns 24-7 on Twitter. Excellent. And you can find me at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. And of course, if you're looking for, you know, content from G5 Football Daily, the podcast, as well as what we're doing over there on the Fan Nation Network, si.com uh, slash college slash group five. Honestly, just Google G5 Football Daily and you will see all the cool stuff that we are working on over the course of the season. And uh, looking forward to doing it more and more as the weeks go on. Happy football watching, everybody. We'll talk to you very soon.